sometimes we hear something, and at first we think it's absolutely true and absolutely right. I can still remember uh, in 1969 hearing at first Simon and Garfunkel's song, I am a rock, I am an island. A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. We all sang it, didn't we, with Simon and Garfunkel, because the culture had already taught us that you and I were supposed to be tough individuals, take care of your own resources, don't ask anybody for help. It seemed right, didn't it? But in the middle of that song, Simon and Garfunkel also sing, because friendship causes pain. And you and I, now later, might want to argue with that a bit to say, oh no, genuine, trustworthy, loving, and caring friendship doesn't cause pain. It alleviates it, frees it. But we also know, don't we, that there are times when we've extended ourselves to someone else or to a group. We've extended our love and our trust and that trust and love have been stampled, have been stamped on, have been breached, have been disloyal. And when that happens, you and I revert back and say, well, maybe Simon and Garfunkel knew what they were talking about. I am a rock. I am an island. A rock feels no pain. An island never cries. I'm not going to extend myself anymore. On June 17th, 2015, almost to exact six years ago, there was a very normal afternoon that happened on a Wednesday in Charleston, South Carolina, at a historic church, Emmanuel AME Zion Church. They were doing something very normal for them. They were having a Bible study on Wednesdays. It included the pastor about nine or ten others. A young white male came around. That was a little unusual because all the others were African-American. They extended hospitality and welcome, gave him a beverage, a cup of coffee, invited him to join their Bible study to sit with them. Everything seemed to be well. And after the Bible study, they entered into, as they always did, a time of prayer. During those prayers, this young white male then pulled a gun out of his bag and shot all of them. You and I have occasions when trust and hospitality and friendship are breached when someone treats them rudely, in this case, violently. When those things happen to us, we tend to say, that's enough. That's enough. I will never risk myself again. I'll never extend myself. I can't trust this anymore. There's suspicion, there's 
lack of safety, and you and I are right back to Simon and Garfunkel. I am a rock. I am an island. A rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. In the middle of these realities comes the great physician, Jesus the healer. In the midst of these conditions in which we live, where illness and trauma, violence and the lack of trust infiltrate our lives. In this week's gospel text, Jesus is doing a very normal thing himself. He's in and around the Sea of Galilee. That's his new home. Remember, he moved from uh, Nazareth over to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and Tiberias. That was his home now, and he was among his people. He was venturing around the lake, we're told in this text. There's crowds pressing, and he meets up in this text with two women whom he heals. It's not coincidence, I believe, in Mark's gospel that we have a young girl, Jairus' daughter, and an older woman, we don't know how old, who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and he heals both of them. It's very unusual at this part of Mark's gospel because up to this point, he has only mentioned two women in his entire gospel. And neither one of them have a, has a name. The mother of Jesus, he doesn't even name Mary, and the mother-in-law of Peter. <laughs> Up to this point, he's named 46 men and only two women, and they didn't have a name. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence then for him to portray the great physician, the healer, as healing a young girl and a woman with a hemorrhage. First, Jairus' daughter. Do you know that children in Jesus' culture were devalued? They weren't given any status. In some of our cultures, we were in the same place. Sit over there and be quiet. <laughs> and yet Jesus takes a great interest in Jairus' daughter, touching her healing her, praying for her. The woman with a hemorrhage is also an outcast. If you had blood coming out of your body, especially if you're female, then you were considered unclean in Jesus' culture by law. And a rabbi certainly was not to be near anyone like that. Can you imagine what her life was like for 12 years being sidelined being disenfranchised, put out, and yet she's right in the mix of the crowd, believing that if she would touch his hem of his robe, she would be healed. Jesus takes a great interest in a young girl and an outcast woman, telling us that the great physician cares about all people those in the mainstream, those on the sidelines, those who are righteous and those who are considered not righteous, 
those who are old and young, female, male, we would add to the categories, wouldn't we? Jesus takes a great interest as the great physician of healing all sorts and conditions of people. In both cases, both of the women, the girl and the woman, became vulnerable, able to receive the healing grace that Jesus was providing. Let me ask you, where do you and I see ourselves in this story? You know, that's an old way of doing Bible study. Where do we see ourselves in the story? If we're really honest, most of us would say, well, I see myself in the crowd, <laughs> the crowd around Jesus. I can sort of hide out there. I don't have to really let my needs be known. I don't have to really be vulnerable. I have my hands behind my back. I'm somewhat distant from the real action of the story. I'm just watching what happens. I'm not a participant. I'm a spectator. How often you and I have needs. We have hemorrhaging happening in our life. But it's much more comfortable, isn't it, to keep distant, to stay in the crowd, to just watch other people. We've heard ourselves say things like, I think I'm just going to endure my bad marriage. I just really do not want to deal with the issues that we have, and I'm just going to grit my teeth and just keep moving down the road. Or we may say things like, I, I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with those children sometime. Not today, not this month, sometime in the nebulous, vague future. I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with those kids. Or we say things like, I've been at this vocation for many years, and quietly I'm just suffering inside. I hate this job. But it provides a salary on which people are provided and they count on me. And besides, I know how to do it. It's routine. I'm doing fairly well. But underneath, I'm just an empty husk. I'm not living into what God has given me. I'm not in my wheelhouse. Or we say things like, you know, I, I remember that story from the Emmanuel AME Zion Church, it makes my heart hurt to know that racism still exists in America. I hope someone will do something about that sometime. Such symptoms are a sign of what Ashley Montague called spiritual sclerosis. Not of the arteries, that's arterial sclerosis. Spiritual sclerosis is a hardening of the soul. When you and I learn our lessons well by staying in the crowd, staying distant, 
not really addressing illnesses or dysfunction that may be around us or in us, not really wanting to address the hemorrhaging that's been going on for 12 years or the illness in the family of some variety. Because what we know, don't we, is that if I begin to address it, I'll have to change. It's going to transform me. I'll have to look at things a new way. If we were transformed, I might have to say, you know, my marriage really isn't what I want it to be, and I'm going to begin to address some of the issues. I'm going to begin to draw on the resources that God has given me to find some new healing and wholeness. We might say, I'm going to have that heart-to-heart with the kids tonight, and we're going to resolve whatever it is that's troubling us. We might say, I know that changing my vocation is going to be a real ringer. It's going to turn the apple cart upside down, but I can't take this terrible job anymore. Or we might say, it makes my heart sick to know that racism continues. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to press myself, my love and my justice and my mercy into the fabric of this society so that we can have a more equal way, a more inclusive society. We fear the cure, don't we? Because we've gotten used to the hemorrhaging. And yet, the great physician comes into our midst providing us with a mercy, with a grace, with resources that can bring a new life, a new way, restoration, healing our way. Years ago, Fred Craddock, Dr. Fred Craddock, who was then the professor of homiletics at Emory University, Candler School of Theology, um, took a break from his teaching post, and he and his wife were on sabbatical. They wanted to get as far away from Atlanta as they could, but they, they made their first stop, Gatlinburg. They were hiding out. They had a nice, quiet little uh, cottage. They went to a beautiful little restaurant in the mountains, They found a table way back in the corner. They didn't want to see anyone. They didn't want to be interrupted. (laughs) While they were having their quiet meal, Fred Craddock reports, there was an old gentleman came into the restaurant, looked sort of disheveled, had bib overalls on, and began to shake hands and say hello to people in the restaurant. He began to make his way back to the back of the restaurant. Fred Craddock reports, I hope he doesn't see us. He did. He came back to their table, shook their hands. Hey, how you doing? What brings you to Gatlinburg? He said, "Um, my name's Fred, and this is my wife. What do you do, Fred? The old man asked Fred Craddock. He thought if I said a professor of homiletics, that man wouldn't have any idea what he does. He told him. He said, oh, you teach people how to preach. Mind if I sit down? (laughs) Sat down with Fred and his wife. He began to point out the windows of the restaurant. 
I grew up in these hills. When I was a boy, I didn't know who my father was. Everywhere I went when I was small, they called me Ben the Bastard Boy. He doesn't know who his father is, they said with disgust. I was not welcomed into anything. They never invited me to be on their team or in their club. I sat by myself growing up in the school lunchroom. There's Ben the Bastard Boy, they would say. Ben, the bastard boy, doesn't know who his father is. He said, when I was 13, there was a tent preacher who came to our town. He said, I went with some cousins. First night, they invited all of us to come down front. I snuck out the back. Second night, same thing. Third night. The same thing. But something happened on the last night, the fourth night. I didn't see this coming. I got up, and I went forward. That large preacher then took me by the shoulders. He said, boy, what is your name? And I thought to myself, oh, God, he knows that I'm Ben the Bastard Boy. He uttered, Ben, holding his shoulders in that preacher, said to Ben, I know who your father is. He thought, horrors. I don't even know who my father is. He said, boy, your parent is a beloved, merciful God who's loved you from the day you were born and will love you into eternity. You are his child. You wear the family mark. Ben told Fred and his wife, my life was never the same. I was healed that night. I was never again Ben the bastard boy. He excused himself, got up from the table, walked out of the restaurant. The waitstaff then came over to Fred's table. He said, do you know who that was who was visiting with you? Fred said, I think his name was Ben. <laughs> the waitress said, that was Ben Hooper. He's the governor of Tennessee. Ben Hooper was the governor of Tennessee from 1911 until 19. 15. And whatever compelled him to step out of his chair that night and go forward was vulnerability, was admission that life is not always well, that all of us have blemishes, setbacks. We've all extended trust to someone and we've had it stomped on. We've gone into places where we've tried to love and trust others. We've sung that song with Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock, I am an island. Rocks feels no, no pain, and an island never cries. 
And then it happens. The great physician comes into our midst, offering healing grace. And without even stopping ourselves, we begin to receive it. And with Ben Hooper, we're never the same again. We're healed. We're no longer Ben the bastard boy. We're no longer the woman with a hemorrhage. We're no longer just a small little girl who's insignificant in her culture. After Jesus healed the two women, the girl and the woman with the hemorrhage, we're told that the crowd was amazed. In the RSV, it used to say they were astonished. The Greek word means they were struck out of themselves. They were amazed. I mean, this isn't garden variety, friends. They watched these healings happen and they were struck out of themselves. The way I see it is they were beginning to let go of their outward shield where they could begin to become vulnerable. And by way of these two women, they began to understand what it is to ask for help, to receive God's healing grace. Let me ask you, are you astonished these days as to what God can be doing in our midst? I ask God for that blessing this day and in the weeks to come that you and I would be astonished, struck out of ourselves. Amen.